Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about being John Malkovich. Tell me, what is this strange power that Malkovich exudes? You've got to help me understand because all I think about is wanting to be him. Wanting to what? Wanting to be him. Wanting to be John Malkovich. This is an absurd, surrealist, fantastical, dark, romantic, meta-drama comedy. Directed by Spike Jones. The cast includes Joan Cusack's brother, Princess Fiona, the voice of Bilbo Baggins, Missy Armitage, Charlie Harper, and John Horatio Malkovich. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it once on YouTube and then most of the way through on Amazon Prime just to see if there was any difference. Oh, interesting. Was there? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) we have, uh, you know, sometimes you set out to discover something and you discover nothing. That's right. That's the nature of of exploration. That's right. (laughs) A lot of boring stuff, actually. (laughs) A lot of dust and dirt and nothing underneath. Well, uh, we'll, we will discuss this movie, but first we want to recap the events in a synopsis that Joey wrote. Joey, take it away. Craig Schwartz is a very talented and unemployed puppeteer in a world that doesn't appreciate him. His wife, Lottie, who is some sort of veterinarian that frequently takes her work home with her, encourages Craig to get a real job. He finds the perfect thing on the seventh and a half floor of the Merton Flemmer building, working for the eccentric Dr. Lester. During orientation, Craig meets Maxine, an aloof but siren-esque beauty, who Craig instantly starts to hit on. One day, Craig discovers a small door hidden behind a filing cabinet. When he enters it, he crawls through a strange, muddy tunnel until a gust of wind shuts the door and sweeps him into the body of John Malkovich, the famous actor. Craig is a passenger in Malkovich's life, seeing through his eyes, hearing through his ears, and feeling through his skin. Malkovich is completely unaware, and 15 minutes later, Craig falls into a ditch along the New Jersey Turnpike. He finds Maxine to tell her what he found. Maxine convinces Craig they should start a business where they charge people $200 to be John Malkovich. Craig excitedly tells his wife about the new venture. Lottie insists on trying it herself. When she crawls through the tunnel into Malkovich, she finds him in the shower. She becomes obsessed, even believing she is transsexual because of how right it was to be in the actor's body. Lottie shows up at Craig's job unannounced and meets Maxine. The two instantly hit it off. Lottie, Maxine, and Craig all gather at the couple's house for dinner and a bit of weed. Lottie and Craig both try to kiss Maxine at the same time, and Maxine tells them the deal. She doesn't like Craig, but she is allured by Lottie, but only when Lottie is in Malkovich. The two hatch a plan to have sex while Lottie is inside Malkovich. When Craig catches on, he ties Lottie up and locks her in a cage with her pet chimp. He forces her to schedule dates with Maxine so he can hook up with the paramour while Maxine thinks she is with Lottie. Craig learns he can sometimes control Malkovich's words and actions. Malkovich becomes seriously spooked. Suspecting Maxine, he follows her to the office and asks to go through the portal himself. Maxine obliges and Malkovich enters a strange subconscious world where he is every person. Eventually, Craig learns to control Malkovich while inside him and figures out how to stay in for as long as he wants. Maxine likes the new twist, and she and Malkovich Craig get married. Craig pivots Malkovich to becoming the world's greatest puppeteer. Meanwhile, Lottie talks with Dr. Lester and discovers the truth behind the portal in the office. Dr. Lester is an immortal soul that periodically jumps into new vessels as his current one decays. John Malkovich is the latest in the vessels. Whoever is inside when he turns 44 takes over the body permanently. Dr. Lester has assembled several friends that will share the body with him. Eight months pass. Maxine is pregnant. Malkovich Craig celebrates his 44th birthday, but it is an empty affair. Maxine doesn't love him anymore. After a fight at a bar, Craig is convinced to leave the Malkovich body by Maxine. Dr. Lester and all his friends all pile into Malkovich just as the clock strikes midnight. Maxine tells Lottie that the baby is hers because the baby was conceived while Lottie was Malkovich. The two women run off together, leaving Craig in the rain. Craig, unaware of the vessel's lore, re-enters the portal, but by now it has shifted to the next vessel, Maxine's baby. He becomes absorbed, 
unable to leave and unable to control the child, he is forced to watch his wife and unrequited lover living a happy life together. The end. There you have it, the events of being John Malkovich. We'll begin our analysis with our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about this movie? First, I'm going to say, fuck Craig. He gets what he deserves. Uh, what, what a great villain. Um, a strange and whimsical modern family a fairy tale. It's a, strange, it's a strong exploration of a very unique fantasy concept. It's captivating performances and strange twists throughout. You can never really quite tell what is normal and what is weird in this world. Uh, one of my favorite moments is when one of the, uh, when their first uh, customers arrives at the uh, John Melkovich factory and they see this is a we can make you someone else uh, for 15 minutes and he's like uh, get, do I get to choose and Maxine <laughs> says you can be John Malkovich and he's like that was my second choice <laughs> it's just perfect like that that is nobody really asks too many questions and I think that really works this movie's uh, benefit there's this strange metaphor that trails with many strings almost like a puppet without a master ah. um, so there's a lot to untangle that i think uh be fun to talk about very clever um this movie i think is boldly wacky and darkly disconcerting yes there's a lot of things in this movie where i came away pretty uncomfortable thinking about the implications of what it means to be trapped inside someone else's body it's thematically consistent there's so much in this film about control and puppetry <laughs> and being yourself or being someone else. And I, I feel like it's for a movie that's so off the wall, it's really focused on those themes, which I think is fantastic. It's well written. It's funny. It's very creative. All the actors have no self-preservation and come across really weird in the best possible way. And I actually thought that the puppetry was really impressive. The parts that focused on the puppetry, like the the uh, nun and the priest who are like pining for each other, right. the part where he's having the discussion with the puppet Maxine, they I, honestly, I was kind of wondering why there hasn't been more puppet media that's coming. <laughs> I feel like the Muppets kind of have the the market cornered when whoever was in charge of it for this film could have. There was a puppet episode of uh, Community. That's true. In Not quite season. as impressive as this one. <laughs> in the fourth season, the best season, everyone knows. <laughs> and uh, finally, I love the satire of office culture. I thought it was a fun like hilarious take on something that has been satirized a lot in film but never quite like this no so i thought that was all really great stuff now let's move on to our cons joey what did you not like about being john malkovich um i think craig is just so hateable and i think the way the movie is framed the second time i was watching it i was more in tune with this i was like okay craig is the villain i'm hating craig the whole time um but it, but how movies are framed right he's he is the protagonist he is the person driving action in the movie so when you frame it around him you want to root for him despite all the things that say he's a bad guy yes <laughs> um the vessel lore i think is weak i don't think it really makes a lot of sense it feels like it was tacked on at the end because i needed some sort of metaphysical explanation for this fun concept they had come up with and i don't think it works that well um, I, sometimes this movie looks really dingy and sad, and I think that's a reason why it's hard for me to recommend it. You know, if it was really colorful and kind of flashy, sort of, uh, but also very dark, a similar way to um, I Care A Lot was, right? I feel like it'd be easier for people, me to say, oh, this is like a fun movie visually. This movie has a lot of very creative visuals, but the way it's so like kind of musty and and like it kind of clings to your clothes and how everyone looks kind of like a funhouse version of themselves. <laughs> it, it makes it like off-putting and it makes you want to hold it at a distance, I think. Yes, there is something about the content of this film as well because everybody's kind of a bad person for the most part. And also, yeah, kind of the way it looks. It's, it's hard to recommend because if you're not on board for the wackiness, then the gross parts of it can could probably 
turn this whole thing around and make it bad for you. Yeah. I, I will say I was impressed with their ability to turn Craig into the villain. Of, he's the protagonist and the antagonist of the same film. Well, protagonist doesn't necessarily mean villain, right? Protagonist just means the person that wants something. The antagonist is the person that opposes them in that want. Right? He's his own worst enemy, though. It's true. He's, he, but I, I, yeah, I, see, I, uh, I definitely agree with that. He's just so hateable but i i liked that especially on the rewatch because you kind of see it more at the beginning oh yeah because when you're first watching it you know it seems like he's the like he's down on his luck right unappreciated artist he wanted more out of life yeah he felt that existential dread that i think we all at times feel but he's got talent you know he just needs his break and the first time I watched it, I'm like, okay, they're setting him up, classic protagonist. But then the second time you watch it, it's like, no, they're setting him up, classic villain. <laughs> yes. He's, he can't be happy that someone else, some other puppeteer, is having success in such a, maybe in this world, a more popular medium, but <laughs> that huge puppet that that guy was doing. Yeah. like, So I, I thought that that was, I really liked that a lot. And they really sell him being evil, evil. <laughs> the stuff that he does to Lottie is so messed up. <laughs> Oh my gosh! But it, but but one of my favorite aspects of Craig is that he's very polite. Yes, he is. <laughs> he's, he's he's actually like he's very considerate of how people how things like are viewed. He's he always makes like the appropriate excuses. He always kind of says the right thing at the right time. Right when he's hitting on Maxine, he's he's going about this very <laughs> indirect way. It's very yes. slimy, but it's but it's got this. But at the beginning of the movie, you're willing to forgive it as like oh he's you know he's trying to make a real connection here, but that's not true because right. he's. He is the most cynical of people. So it's just, but he is polite, which I think is really funny just to have him like uh, be framed in that way. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was really interesting. And again, bold, brave of this yeah. film to for them to kind of do that to our protagonist. Um, I really didn't have that many cons for this film. I thought it was really good at achieving what it was trying to do. It's a weird movie. It's not for everybody, but I don't really hold those things against the film. I, it, it is very proud to be what it is yeah. and i i really don't have any problems with it i will say that one of my favorite characters is a tiny bit underdeveloped this movie could have used more elijah <laughs> but even that is kind of a joke because the way that they had this thing where she's like oh his childhood trauma i need to get him to like a, a psych a therapist or whatever a feeling of inadequacy from being a chimp <laughs> yes. and i'm like dude this because again at the time i'm thinking this is my protagonist and so they're kind of making me think oh his wife is kind of like weird and obsessed with this monkey like he's right to kind of be like no he was totally wrong he had a perfectly good relationship there and and elijah did have a troubled past that he needed to deal with and then he deals with it in the best way like the this movie also has that it plays with this um kind of idea of point of view yeah and we get to experience that from a life <laughs> point, point of view, of view. <laughs> it was so funny not expect that oh yeah and i love that was one of my favorite sequences if i was laughing so hard especially <laughs> his parents are like quick elijah <laughs> even they call him elijah like how did so they get awesome. his name oh that's so good uh but yeah so i again that's kind of a phony con i, I feel like this would be really uh, nailed it. So let's let's transition into our overall section, and I'll just reiterate: this movie is wacky. It's a little bit spooky. It's well written, and I feel like it's so thematically consistent. The ideas of puppeteering, controlling others, controlling yourself, the pain of existence—it's all woven so beautifully together. It's just it, it sets out to do uh it, on this mission to cover these topics and i feel like it does it in such a creative way um you know we talked a little bit about how craig is this ridiculous <laughs> protagonist who ends up being his own worst enemy and I, my take on him is that he could have just been a faithful husband and he could have avoided all of this mess right i mean maybe he would never have reached the heights of being a puppeteer but he it all began when he started looking outside of his his marriage for fulfillment. I agree. I mean, that is the catalyst to this whole story, right? It's It's got this very strange piece in the center of it, but it's not really what the characters care about. You know, everybody here wants to have sex with the other person. It's a classic love triangle type situation. So him, <laughs> him pining for Maxine so obviously, so... Um, like uh, just bare chested, right? Without any sort of um, 
you know, reservation or anything. He doesn't even take his wedding ring off when he goes to the bar to meet her. <laughs> you know, like he's such a he's such a piece of shit. So to everything that happens is because of that. And one of my favorite aspects of the movie is how it doesn't seem like any of our characters actually believe any things that they're saying. When Craig comes back from his Malkovich adventure the first time and he goes in to see Maxine and he's like, this is, there's some sort of metaphysical thing going on, right? This is like, I've discovered some sort of wonder of the world. He's saying it so that she, she will think he's cool. He's not <laughs> saying it because he believes it. My favorite, my favorite part is when uh, he says, I don't think I can go on living my life the way I have before. And then she just gestures to the window yes. as if he should just kill himself. <laughs> she so doesn't take him seriously at all. Yes. Which she is such an ice queen. Like she is so out just for her own thing. Like Maxine, it's interesting. These three characters, the way that their kind of morality plays out. Cause Craig is clearly evil, but Maxine is also decently evil, but her like, motivations are just to take full advantage of her current situation yes not necessarily to exploit others or to do things that are inherently wrong she's just doing the best with whatever she's got she's got this guy who will do anything for her well great i can make him run my business you know <laughs> he's bringing me this weird situation i can make 200 bucks off of it um which i thought was like funny and also it's well i watched a lot of behind the scenes because there was just a ton of behind the scenes footage for this film like not like behind the scenes kind of curated stuff where they're like, no, here's the part where we're doing this. It's just raw footage from on set. And the actress who plays Maxine... Catherine Keener. Catherine Keener, yeah, is like delightful. She's so nice. And it was so... uh, Which is crazy. I mean, obviously they're actors, but it was kind of uh, cool to see her be able to flip that switch and be this uh, selfish bitch. Yes. (laughs) Yes, Maxine's great. She, like, at, at the beginning, she seems so cold and out of place, right? She seems like, oh, she's, you know, so aloof. I don't, you know, why should I care anything about her? But seeing the way that she clocks Craig immediately and then shuts him down, like, really endears her, you to her. And then for her to actually seem to care about Lottie, maybe not enough to want to be with her physically, but enough to, like, go to the effort of trying to establish some sort of relationship with her. And then when they end up together at the end, it is a satisfying ending because, you know, Lottie gets a, a good uh, ending and Maxine, who is, uh, Maxine wins in spite of Craig, which is enough. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's, I, I guess I could settle for enough because in my opinion, like Lottie getting, or not Lottie, uh, Maxine getting a happy ending is a like somewhat un maybe not justified maybe a little bit unearned just because once again she's doing what's best for her yeah she needs somebody who she actually loves to help her raise her baby so she's gonna go with Lottie um, but at the same time I agree with you spiting Craig in that moment is a net positive so she is doing something good and then also Lottie who is the most endearing I think character the one that as the audience we can approve of her actions the most because she seems to be uh, like acting with her heart I guess most of the time she right. seems to fully just be following uh like her mo- like be she's compassionate and then she lets that lead her and um so to see her kind of want to be a mother and be in a loving relationship where the other person in the relationship actually cares about her yeah that's a fitting end for her right and it seems like everything lottie says she actually believes she seems like a genuine person who actually is going through some sort of existential crisis when she learns about this thing <laughs> which based on how lots of other people act is a perfectly normal yes. reaction you yes. know so her yeah her exploration of this and then her sort of transformation and then her ending up on the right side of this whole thing by just being herself is like classic it's just a it's a very well written movie in that way where you ever the bad people are punished and the good people are rewarded yes and it's in a way you would not expect (laughs) when she at the beginning was like oh maybe have you thought about having a baby together never would i think that she would somehow inseminate another woman through john malkovich (laughs) i had even i had people tell me or like mention to me what this movie is about it's like you go through the store and then you're in john malkovich's head and i was like oh that's weird (laughs) not even close to like what this movie ended up being which speaking of john malkovich he is acting his ass off oh my gosh, in yeah. this film. He is the weird glue that holds this thing together. And he does everything that needs to happen to make it work. I felt like he pulled off the human puppet bit really 
really well. Oh yeah, like the dance of the dance of despair and disillusionment was sublime. He, I mean, <laughs> I'm so happy. Like I love when things like that come back. Yeah, it was just like we saw at the beginning with that puppet, and like the fall, like he like ran up the wall and fell down. Like it was acrobatic. His cries for mercy when Craig was taking over his body were honestly chilling. Oh yeah. Oh, when 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 he first when Craig first starts to control him, right? He moves his hand and he says something like, yes. like, like his mouth, his whole face contorts, and then he goes, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like he's really freaked out. That was amazing. Yes, yes. And somehow, somehow, you watch this crazy movie that has John Malkovich's name attached to it, right? And he, the actor, appears so like kind compassionate normal you know when he's also dressed as like this big bosomed woman in a red dress saying his own name right <laughs> tracing like his his boobs and then he's like also a child and one of the waiters and stuff like all of that that whole scene is so wacky and out of left field so for him to for for you guys to come away from this movie and feel like John Malkovich, uh, the actor, is like a sympathetic character, even though he's the one who is acting out the most insane bits of this movie, um, is really uh, special, really talent, like true talent at work. I totally agree. I think he's a really good choice for this role because he's famous enough that you would recognize the name and also his face, but not famous enough that it like fundamentally changes the film being somebody more recognizable like brad pitt or tom cruise yeah. would be a totally different experience it's so aspirational that it's obviously that you'd rather be brad pitt or tom cruise spike jones actually claimed in an interview that when he was shopping the screenplay around hollywood uh, at least one unspecified producer asked if he could possibly rewrite the film as being tom cruise and even john malkovich himself who said you know, I'll produce this film, suggested that Jones cast Cruz instead of him. But he said it was like, it, this. I'm only doing this if it's John Malkovich, which is the right move. Because, he, yes, John Malkovich is famous. But is being him inherently better than being you? Well, that's the thing. That's the thing that, I, that struck me the most was that you never see John Malkovich, when you're inside of John Malkovich, right? You never see him doing anything <laughs> extraordinary. Yes. He is... Going to a taxi. He is reading a, a, a book, right, into a tape recorder. Yeah, he's shopping through a catalog yes, over the, on the eating phone. Eating leftover Chinese food. You know, like <laughs> he's not doing anything interesting. The only thing he's interesting he's doing is having sex with Maxine. Right. Like, that is specifically only for Lottie. Right, right. right. So nobody else who is the, the, the long line of people that are showing up there are just there to experience the 15 minutes of a normal day in someone's normal life. Yes. You know, yes. that is like the most depressing part of it. <laughs> but also like it makes it, it makes the whole thing so much like resonate so much more. It, it shows the piece that people are missing way more than it's like the celebrity culture that they're after yes. or anything like that. It's just being a normal guy for 15 minutes and not yourself. <laughs> yes. You know, that's, that is what they're the dream that they're selling yeah it's so much more profound because it's less about being john malkovich and it's more about not being yourself yes which is so i i again i feel like it's, it's a harsh criticism but it also i feel like is so true and i feel like a lot of people they like the they had the one guy who said that john malkovich was his number two choice but it's like that guy is like i just don't want to be fat for 15 yes. minutes it's like they hate their own body but then it's even something deeper than that it's that people just have this self-loathing where they don't even want to be themselves at all right um this is not exactly related, but one of my favorite line reads from this movie is when John Valkovich comes up the elevator and he gets in the back of the line and he's like, what is this service that's being provided? And the guy at the back of the line says, you get to be John Malkovich for 15 minutes, 200 clams. <laughs> so freaking funny. Because it's just like this, he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, this is just a normal thing that yeah. I'm doing. You know? <laughs> like, let me just explain it to you real quick. <laughs> That's again part of that like this movie this world they existed is so strange but also like the strangeness is so normal to everybody in it. I love that. That's one of the things I love about this film is it feels like it establishes itself so well. It's like it's so wacky but it's it's somewhat consistent um which I think is great. I mean some of that other wackiness is portrayed in the or is uh involved in the way they portray working in an office. Yes. Which actually 
the way specifically that Craig enters office life reminded me of the first time I ever worked in an office when I was an intern in college, got my first summer internship and I was going to be in an office all summer long. You go in there and everyone is already blind to it because they go there every day and have been going there every day for years. But when you've never worked in an office before, the strangeness of an office is <laughs> obvious. The gray colors, the cubicle walls, the rigid way that everything is set up, it, like how bland everything is, it was shocking to me. And the like, the most creative thing for me in this film was the low ceilings. Oh my gosh. It, the way that it restricted standing was hilarious and was also an analog for how offices restrict your ability to be a regular human. Craig's pointless job reflects the lack of fulfillment that comes from many office jobs, but it's never too depressing. Like this movie successfully satirizes office culture and then keeps moving so we don't get bogged down in it. I feel like that's kind of like what you're talking about with everything looking kind of dingy. Yes. Like it's it's kind of depressing. If you think about it too long, you'll get sad, but they kind of just keep going. And then, yeah, there's just more to do, you know? Yeah, and the, the, the very strange uh, orientation video where they have a... <laughs> have actors like explain the lore of the seventh and a half floor and they have like and then they have the people like the host of the of the little documentary are in the floor stooped over (laughs) holding coffee mugs you know just acting like it's normal it's so funny because um every single person is has is forced to be in this weird position where they're like bent over but if you like if you imagine yourself in a space like that what other option would you have you know what i right. mean like you, squatting doesn't really make sense i was like what if you got like a scooter like what if you got like one of those motorized scooters or something where, yeah like you were sitting down in awesome mobiles like it the, the hallways are too tight you know there's too much you <laughs> would not it would not be convenient it would be more in the way than if you were just standing up and stooping over yeah it's just the easiest thing and everyone else is doing it so why don't you just do it too you know <laughs> what office culture yeah in a nutshell yeah it's <laughs> i love the the story there like why everything was so low like this tiny woman who's like not a little girl but she's just a small woman comes into the building and she's like but she's played by a little girl in the orientation video yeah and, and she's like this this like the tall ceilings mock my stature like just kind of this like poetic way of speaking and then like he calls her a demon and then proposes to her and then builds this floor for her and then rent ends up being lower because of that and yeah. then the, and then they have the very clever it's uh overhead is low that's right i <laughs> love that so clever so amazing yes it's like you imagine it's like you imagined working in a space like that and then what kind of jokes people would tell and then you wrote that yeah it's it is very clever not to mention like craig has to deal with all the weird things that dr lester tells him <laughs> he like crouched over the <laughs> the freaking filing cabinets and he's listening to how dr lester is so horny all the time <laughs> If I was 80 years younger, I would box your ears. <laughs> I love that so much. I was like, because I, I had the same double take at the same time Craig did. I was like, he's like 80 years old. What the hell? Like, how is that possible? <laughs> um, uh, my, okay, my personal theory, and maybe you have something that contradicts this, but my personal theory is that the location of John Malkovich's door is the reason why the floor is the way it is. Ah. Because if you look at the elevator, right? When you exit the elevator, what you're looking at is the floor of floor eight. Yeah. Right. And that means that the, the, uh, it's not that the ceilings are lower as much as the ground is higher. Uh, Does that make sense? Right. So you have, far. Yeah. Cause you have a seventh floor and that, um, if you were to, yeah. Yeah. I see you what could, you mean. You could yeah. cut it in half one way or the other, right? Which half are you doing? You're taking the top half. Yes. And the vessel door is flush relatively with the floor of the office so that it's easy for you to crawl in there yes yes i see what you're saying so it, the lore is obviously not real right. and the real Maxine's reason right it that. is bullshit and yeah. it's actually that was built as a way to uh trans like traverse into the uh the vessel the vessel yeah ah, yeah i like that theory yeah i think that's that's probably spot on and makes you wonder what that floor is used for before it was cheap rent for whatever <laughs> business is in its it feels like it's always been hours. like that <laughs> well i also like that the the job is filing things yeah something that's completely um obsolete in today's world right yeah but also what does that even mean filing what are they filing you know They're it's just like putting things in files the, the you know. job could also be like it's like uh pencil pushing where they go in and push a pencil with their finger the button pressing factory right exactly another (laughs) one of these useless jobs yeah it's just like any office (laughs) okay so there's this 
link between sex and um, being another person, okay, that is pretty explicit throughout the movie. It comes up in a bunch of different ways, and I think it's something very interesting that I want to explore a little bit deeper. Okay. Um, specifically, there's this... Uh, Specifically, there's a quote where Craig is talking to his puppet version of Maxine using his puppet version of himself, and he says this. Tell me, Craig, why do you love puppeteering? Well, Maxine, I'm not sure exactly. Perhaps it's the idea of becoming someone else for a little while, being inside another skin, thinking differently, moving differently feeling differently. Interesting, Craig. Would you like to be inside my skin? Think what I think. Feel what I feel. More than anything, Maxine. It's good in here, Craig. It's better than your wildest dreams. And then the puppets start making out. Right. Um, hilariously set a payoff when he tries to repeat this clever line to the real Maxine. And she says, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the appropriate response. Yes, it's really freaking weird for anyone to say this. But then there's um, Lottie after she exits uh, uh, Malkovich for the first time. She says, it's like... He has a vagina and a penis. You know, it, it's it's like you're it's just being intimate with this other person. He has this feminine side. Yeah, and I find that very attractive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, uh, you know, Craig is sort of obsessed with sex. I mean, there's a lot of different sexual things that he's doing with his puppets. When he says he's raising issues, it's really that his puppets just have sex with each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, there is this, uh, and then of course there's the entire plot of the movie, which is. Um, Lottie being inside of Malkovich while she's having sex with Maxine, right? So there is this psychosexual tension here. There's this conflation of being inside of another person, you know, as a vessel versus having sex with them or uh, something similar. I keep coming back to this quote from House of Cards where Frank Underwood says, Everything is about sex, except sex, which is about power. And I think this is. That was my Frank Edward voice. Hope you that, enjoyed was, that. that was great. Thank you. Um, I had to knock on wood twice. Yeah. This is a special uh, thing. Um, <laughs> I think this is partly true, but I think it misses a major point. Sex is about being vulnerable. It can be about control and surrender, but it can also be about connection and what those things represent psychologically. Um, when you are having sex with someone, you are in the most, you're in your most vulnerable state, both physically and emotionally. That feeling of trust or that thrill of danger is a big part of what makes sex enjoyable. The experience of being John Malkovich or how Craig describes puppeteering mimics this feeling. But to frame it as the same as puppeteering shows that Craig views sex as a form of possession. So Craig's possession of Malkovich turns something that was intimate into something horrible. He uses Lottie and Maxine to get what he wants, playing with their vulnerability to his advantage, um, yeah, to his advantage. When he controls another person, he becomes them, but they, but they also become whatever is in his own head. This is pretty obvious because he has a puppet version of himself, right? And that puppet version is the main puppet he uses whenever he's expressing uh, whatever puppetry he wants to express. His puppet dance that we see at the beginning, the dance of despair and, and disillusionment. And, disillusionment. Um, and then we see Rapilia with Malkovich is a clear expression of Craig's own existential struggle. He is an artist struggling to be understood. His art is a window into his soul. So when he takes control of Malkovich, he transforms him into an elaborate puppet that is essentially just Craig himself. And from there, we can view all of Craig's actions as this desire for possession and control. He sees sex as a tool of that desire. The same way he uses strings to control his puppets, he can use sex to control the people in his life. Which I think is another reason why Craig is so repulsive. Yes. No, I totally agree. I mean, if it wasn't enough to be like a skeevy little perv who wants to have sex with everybody while he's married. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. It's another thing to have this kind of perverse view of what sex is. Right. And he sees it as this, he sees it as this tool, right? He sees it as this thing, a way of possessing what he wants. What I think is really interesting about this movie is that other people also seem to recognize the link between 
sex and possession, but view it in an entirely different way than Craig does. Lottie, for example, when she first exits uh, Malkovich, um, she, um, her description of the experience is very sexual, but she sees it as something beautiful and intimate, not as a tool for control. In fact, she sees herself in a new light, which is not an uncommon feeling for people when they are when they are enjoying having sex. There is this opportunity for a really deep validation of self, just the idea that you are enough for another person, that you can make someone else feel so comfortable and happy, or even more simply, that you can do the same thing for yourself. Like think about our our fat guy that we've already referenced twice. You know, he <laughs> he came in here and he's like, I'm a fat man. Like this is a he could be saying the exact same thing if he was going to someone like for dating advice, right? He's like, I cannot fit fulfillment in my life. I cannot find someone that fulfills my life, right? I need to, um, I need to find another way of living. I need to find another way of being. And so when he enters John Malkovich, it is this validation that he can't get in his real life. And a way that he might get that in his real life is through having meaningful sex. So I think it's, I think it's an interesting way to, to, explore this because it's not possible for you to possess another person right the way that you that craig possesses malkovich but it's possible to have sex with other people and to conflate those two things to say that these things are very similar or that they are uh an act uh, that replicates each other i think is uh something really uh really interesting framing the other portion of this which i don't really have a very good grasp of how to talk about it but the fact that maxine never enters the portal herself yeah right she Wants to have sex with Malkovich, right? That seems to be a part of it. But it's also Lottie is tied up in it. So it's, it's clearly there's some sort of like threesome fetishization thing that's going on with her, right? Like you said earlier, she's taking advantage of whatever kind of opportunity is available to her. But I think it's very interesting that when Craig says, you know, have you done it yet? Or, or are you going to do it? She just waves him off, changes the subject and does something else, right? And she ne- you never see her enter the portal. You never see her uh, even seem interested in doing it. And maybe that's because she doesn't feel like she needs to possess another person, or maybe that she feels like she can do that in another way. I feel, well, one, she definitely feels like she can do that in another way. I think Maxine is already just comfortable with who she is. Right. That line she says, do you know what it feels like to have some, like, two sets of eyes, like... Looking at you uh, with complete, at, uh, yeah, lust or whatever? Yeah, and, and he's like, well, I guess you don't. It totally crushes him. But she already is that person. She's already the maximum... Maybe that's why she's Maxine. Yeah. <laughs> she's already the maximum amount of, like, confident in, in herself. And... But that doesn't mean she doesn't want control because what turns her on to Craig is that Craig can control Malkovich and she can control Craig. Right. So that's like right. when Craig is becoming the master puppeteer of the whole world, Maxine is pulling the strings. She's behind the, you know, she's a producer. She's behind his success, which, yeah, makes her the, you know, the true puppet master. Right. And I think that's just doing it in a different way. She doesn't have to do it through the, the vessel. It's a good point. I think, it's, I, think it's, I think you're exactly right. I do am not comfortable with the idea that Dr. Fe- what is his name? Dr. Lester? Lester. I was going to say Fester. Fester. <laughs> <laughs> or what was his original name? Merlin or uh, Merton. Merton? Merton. Captain Merton. Captain Merton gets to just take over people's bodies. Because we see this kind of horrifying existence that Craig gets to experience at the end of the film. Where are all the people who used to be in the bodies that, you know, uh, Captain Merton has taken over for the last, you know, however many hundreds of years? Okay. I was, th- I was thinking long and hard about this. And I am going to propose that Captain Merton has only ever done this once before. Okay. We don't know exactly when the building was built, right? But he says... He's no, a, they built it... Oh, yeah. I don't know about the year, but it would have been in the lifetime of Captain Merton. If he's 105 and the movie takes place in 1999, yeah. then he was born in 18, 1894, right? right? So in the 1800s, right? And if he, uh, if he went to be... If he changed bodies like, you know, around... 50 or something like that when the vessel was at like age 44 well it has to be by midnight uh on their 44th birthday right so let's assume that he's been in dr lester's body for 40 years okay so let's say that this body is oh let's say this body is 84 years old 
right? So when he was saying he was 105, he wasn't talking about the body he's in now. He's a, talking a, about total time ever. Right. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, I agree with you. He's only done this once. <laughs> so then the 40... So yeah, so then... If he's if he's only been if he's only been in this body for forty years, then it means he's only transfer he's only gonna have time to transfer it one time between being born and discovering the thing. Yeah. I mean it's possible that he means this body, but why would that be true? Why would Dr. Lester wait to be, you know, 105? Well, he says he eats Has a really weird diet, doesn't he? He, he said says, he eats oh, like nothing only carrots. but carrots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sometimes I piss orange. <laughs> well, so that could be an explanation is that he just lives an insanely healthy lifestyle. But even that's tenuous, I would say. I think it is tenuous because what, why, so this also extends your ability to live, right? Like, how, does he have extra knowledge about how to live longer? No, is that he, sharing? He has an incentive to live longer. He has to wait until the vessel turns 44. So he, okay. that's what his, like, motivation is. I see. To, to live forever. I mean, I don't know if carrots are the way to do that. <laughs> but he's trying to extend his life to get to the next life, which, again... I feel like not wanting to die ever is so cowardly. Just die. I don't care if you have this escape. Just die. Like, but this escape tunnel, like, come on. Everybody's doing it. You I should know. just die. The, I think the purpose of having all of the old people at the end is to make it seem less selfish for for Dr. Lester. Yes. Right. And and because it doesn't make any sense why they're all there. Like what it does not what kind of existence are they are they going into where they're all crowded inside of Malkovich's body? And like so like like oh it's Tuesday, you know, it's on the first. So uh you know Judy gets a turn and then and then tomorrow it's it's Bert's turn to, to do it right. So that doesn't seem like a great that doesn't seem like a great trade. Well, there was like some sort of notion to we're Malkovich. Like maybe that process almost like blends them together into some sort of like new being. I am not convinced that's better <laughs> than being an individual, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I especially because then you ask what happens to Malkovich. Where does his consciousness right, go? Right, he gets totally forced out. And then, okay, what about this? What's the benefit of jumping into a 44-year-old's body? You know what I mean? That's not the ideal age at all. 44 is not elderly, right. but like that's enough time for you to develop some sort of chronic illness. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like there's something, you're taking some sort of medication at 44 daily to keep something from happening. You know what I mean? And then they're like, like what about the whole idea of like the next vessel, right? So if is it just randomly chosen unless Malkovich has a kid that's not really explained but if their whole yeah. thing is relying on Malkovich's spawn to be the next vessel why aren't they out there you know poking him in the ass being like why is your family you know what I mean we're trying to live forever here bitch <laughs> like well get a, get a move on right here. right yeah that is a good like it's like poking holes in condoms that he <laughs> right. buys and stuff like that yeah I that is a good point yeah, it doesn't really explain it because does that mean that Malkovich's dad or mom was the original vessel? Right. Like, what is what? Yeah, that, that part. I, I'm starting to agree with you here on like the lore being pretty shallow. But again, I'll say it like you make a good point about getting into a 44 year old's body. A coward dies a thousand deaths. Like better to just go ahead and get it on. <laughs> That's go so over funny. With, <laughs> instead of going through all these bodies that are decaying as you enter them. So, yeah, I I think. I, I just disapprove of Dr. Lester and everybody else doing this. One, because they're cowards. And two, because poor Malkovich, either he dies when they do that, or he gets pushed down and gets to continue being the back seat, uh, you know, passenger in his own yeah, body, yes. which sounded awful. It, he clearly did not like it. Well, would you? It sounds terrifying. It's terrible. Yeah, I'd rather be dead. I mean, that's, I mean, it sounds like, um, I don't know what it's called, but like that is something that happens where people get like totally immobilized and then they just right. it's experience par life. paralyzed, you know, and then they can't move. Yeah, it's like, they, they, oh man, it's always so terrifying. They, they've I've listened to podcasts where they found ways of like uh, interfacing with people who's who are paralyzed yeah. brains and learned that actually they've been awake this entire time. They just weren't able to communicate. Right. It's uh, man being trapped like that. It's got to be so so miserable knowing that that's possible is the type of thing that even like i try to like be conscious like dang both my legs are still working both my arms are still working you know i can talk you have your health what else i'm do you doing need? it yeah even if it's like my stomach is a little bit upset right now at least my like i've got everything else yeah so it's it's it, and again 
again, it's impossible to stay in that mindset 100% of the time, but it's good to remind yourself every once in a while. Yeah, that you have so much to be thankful for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, a- that's the other thing, too, that makes me love this movie is um, I don't think it's like intending for you to feel morally superior to the characters, but I'm like, this is not the way to live. Right. The people in this movie, like, it's kind of like a different movie could be preachy where it's like look at how he was unfaithful to his wife and all these bad things were like came to him remember to always be faithful to your wife instead we have this like wacky funny hilarious story that is like is could have easily been avoided if he didn't like (laughs) have this weird obsession with control sex yes well it's this classic exploration of human flaw right and that's all stories have some sort of that are that are touching, have some sort of relatable aspect to them. You have characters that uh, you feel like you can put yourself in their shoes or you can understand the reasons why they do what they do. You may not agree with it, but you can at least understand the emotional state that they're in and and the urge to do the thing that they're about to do. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, these characters are not, like there's fantastical elements of this movie, but the characters are not the fantastical elements. You know, they are normal people right. for the most part. Just behaving like humans. Yes. It's, um, yeah. A couple other things I really enjoyed about this movie. I I thought Cameron Diaz was unrecognizable. Oh, my gosh. So, apparently, her, uh, this is the biggest challenge for the makeup department, was to make <laughs> her look homely. And she didn't even know that she was not going to be recognizable when they did it. But uh, this was, like, a big thing for them. That was, that's, that was the most challenging part, was to try to make Cameron Diaz not hot. <laughs> But yeah, I thought it was great. Um, you know, I, I also thought, you know, it was freaking hilarious. Like there were times that were just laugh out loud funny. The part where he goes, um, you know, I'll see you in court. He goes, what makes you think I won't be seeing what you're seeing in court? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's so good. Uh, and then, um, and also like the fact that nobody could remember a movie that John Malkovich is in. Yes, which is how I feel. I I know that I've seen him and stuff, but I can't think of anything. Well, just think about the. I love the taxi driver who's like, he's like, I've never played a chul feet. He's like, Nah, yes, you did. Like, <laughs> you don't know yourself as well as I yeah. think I know you. <laughs> Who am I thinking of? I have no idea. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, and another one, I, I love that Charlie Sheen. Yeah, Charlie Sheen is like movie. the voice of reason in this movie. <laughs> he like shows up and he's like, oh, hot lesbian witches. <laughs> <laughs> Giving him terrible advice, honestly. And then, uh, and then we got to see Brad Pitt very briefly just to like give them an idea of how famous they were getting. And then Sean Penn being like, I think we'll all probably go into puppetry. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I love that. Yes, no, it was, there's a lot of really good like freaking moments in here, a hundred percent. So there's a link here between acting and puppeteering. Mm-hmm. We, you already mentioned how our actors all um, have no self-preservation. I think that is greatly to this movie's uh, benefit. Um, we have uh, I, I read somewhere that John Cusack. Uh, was asked asked his agent to find him the wackiest, craziest script he could find. And he read this and he said, this is perfect. And for him to play such a slimy, skeeving guy with almost no redeemable qualities um, is uh, really amazing. I really I really thought he did a great job, really sold the, the role. He also is hard to recognize because of the way he looks. Um, I love um, when he says to Maxine, like, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be in love, right? Like, this is what people look like when they're in love. And she's like, it's terrible for the skin. <laughs> I love, I love that. Yeah. And then uh, all of the, I mean, even Catherine Keener, I mean, she is supposed to be this, you know, uh, unattainable beauty, but even she doesn't look quite right in this. Um, she looks a little like sweaty, a little greasy around the edges. And um, to have her, I played such a you know character that is apparently so off type was such a brave thing for her to do and for it to pay off in such a great way really makes a, a big difference and of course John Malkovich like really sells all of that. Um, one of my favorite characterizations of Craig is him as a puppeteer because I think like although he is you know shown in the movie to be very talented, 
I don't find puppeteering to be a very noble art, one that I wish I could do. You know, yeah, when I yeah. when I see someone painting something, or or I or listen to someone singing, or playing a musical instrument, or acting in a movie, or or anything like that, you know, there's a part of me that's like, oh, I wish I could do that. You know, I wish right. I was, I wish not if I was a person, but I wish I could make someone feel the way that I. I am feeling the way right now, right? Um, and I don't feel that way at all about puppetry. <laughs> like I can appreciate it as is something that takes a lot of talent and a lot of skill and a lot of practice. But when I look at it, I'm like, not for me. Yeah, and yeah. I think that was very, I mean, obviously puppetry plays a big role in the story, but it's brilliant to have him do that just because it puts him at odds with the audience another step and makes <laughs> yeah. him again a little bit weirder than you want to be you know it's like ah puppeteer like i i i'm sympathetic to this guy because i'm sympathetic to artists but not puppeteers specifically like puppeteers <laughs> uh, somehow skate under the edge there uh, because they're technically artists but i don't respect them in the same way right like the the ballet at the end there is like <laughs> Wait, the most important thing is th him doing a puppet in the middle? Like, yes. this seems so shoehorned. <laughs> this doesn't seem earned at all. Right. Like, like, the praise he's getting for pulling on these strings seems totally underwhelming. Even though it did look cool, it's like, I mean, I'm maybe more impressed with the engineers who put this together. I mean, maybe that's him, but it seems sure. like it was more about his performance of literally pulling putting, strings. Yeah, putting strings in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> the whole like sequence of the TV special about his rise so <laughs> funny. Just that whole sequence was done so well. I loved it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh well that is going to wrap up the overall section and we'll move on to our cool easter eggs. What have you got, Joey? Um I was wondering if this would happen because this movie is pretty famous in 2003 uh, John Malkovich plays a jewel thief in the Johnny English movie. Oh, nice! Um, which, if you're from, if you're not familiar, is the James Bond spoof a series with Ronan Atkinson right. as Johnny uh, Mr. Bean. English. That's right. Yeah, um, which is pretty funny. So, uh, yes, this is a, obviously a callback to his um, n him not playing a jewel thief in this, and it does feel like Malkovich is known for taking on you know these sort of meta commentary roles so it seemed like this was something that was going to come up at some point where someone would cast him as a jewel thief just as a reference to john malkovich right now that makes sense that's that's funny um this was uh spike jones and charlie kaufman's uh debut movie um the reason why we're doing this is because this is a charlie kaufman um series and he wrote this movie um so just wanted to point that out so uh, even though they have some pretty big name actors, uh, John Cusack and Cameron Diaz were near the height of their popularity when this movie came out. Um, these guys were relatively uh, amateurs and wow. came in uh, to direct this and write this very, very strange movie. And finally, for me, John Malkovich was always intended to be the main character. Like you mentioned earlier, Tom, Tom Cruise was, uh, was uh, thrown around a little bit, um, but Kaufman chose... Um, Malkovich as his uh, as his vessel uh, from the very <laughs> beginning. He was always he always pictured Malkovich that way. He said that he has some sort of enigmatic uh, quality, something like you were describing, where he's well known but not super well known. And the other thing that I think plays a huge role in this, one that I think is stated but not taking seriously is that his name is fun to say <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> so much malkovich yes being uttered in this film that's right especially by himself <laughs> in his subconscious yeah that's that's a good point um one thing that struck me about this film when i was first watching it is that it reminded me of primer why is that because it was the characters like discovering this phenomenon and then deciding what they were going to do with it yes it's kind of it, it was like and it was kind of dingy. <laughs> I think those are the <laughs> things that kind of put it together. Uh, but did you feel that at all? Not exactly. I feel like Primer is so indie, you know, it's it's so obviously made with like less than a thousand dollars, you know, <laughs> that like it has a different quality to me. If you pay attention to the way that uh, Craig discovers the portal, right, that whole sequence is so masterfully shot it, like the shot reverse shot of him looking into the portal looking out of the portal then crawling in there and then you know showing him like in the dark but all, have it being backlit and seeing how weird and and like how it looks like an ear canal for some reason you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it's like it's uh, all of that is so like so wonderfully done um i feel like it just has a level of craft that is a little underappreciated 
um, because it's subtle. And a primer doesn't really quite have that. That's a good point. <laughs> Definitely a distinction between those but two. But I do like that characterization because I do think that strong science fiction or any sort of fantastical fiction deals with people first and the phenomenon second. And uh, having characters that act in a practical sense, right? How do we make money off of this is a very American <laughs> yes. thing, something that many of the, uh, the audience will automatically jump to. So if you have your characters in your movie, do that and makes them more relatable and also makes the movie more fun, I think. Makes them seem real. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing that I found that was pretty interesting, or I guess <laughs> a thing that I found that was pretty interesting is that Malkovich didn't even know Charlie Kaufman when Kaufman wrote this. So they didn't have a relationship before or anything like that. Apparently it was through Jones's fiance at the time, um, who was, uh, I think it was Sophia Coppola. Yes. Her, yes. And so her father, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. The Godfather. Yeah. He's, yeah. One of the most famous directors of all time. Right. He Director had, of the Godfather, yeah. he had, um, <laughs> Uh, not Marlon Brando. <laughs> he had the connection to get Malkovich on the phone. So, wow, yeah, it's this movie feels like it shouldn't exist. But I'm so glad <laughs> that it does. Uh, w- one of the things I, like I said, I watched a lot of behind the scenes of this film, and everyone is complaining about their backs the entire time <laughs> from having to bend over in that office. It looks so uncomfortable, and they're not just there for the scenes; they're there for whole days right. filming things. It looked miserable. <laughs> it's one of those things like, is this bit worth it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh, gosh, man! Uh, so I, I read that John Malkovich claimed that he approached the character of John Malkovich as he would any other fictional role. And the only thing about his real life that was reflected in the film is his wardrobe. Interesting, because I read that after this movie came out, he sort of pivoted into fashion design uh, the same way that he in the movie pivots to puppeteering. He said, I, he still, he said I'm still an actor, but my real my real passion is fashion. <laughs> <laughs> wow i wonder i mean does it is it just called malkovich does he have a brand name i don't know i don't like know I, have, I don't know i mean that would be such a great answer it's just like what are you wearing tonight i'm wearing malkovich <laughs> malkovich yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh when he's in the subconscious and uh everyone's saying malkovich and he he's like reading the menu and it says malkovich 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 and then he screams malkovich out loud and the waiter's just like okay malkovich <laughs> Oh, love that so much. <laughs> Nobody reacts. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was nightmare fuel, uh, I think. Uh, so here's here's another cool Easter egg for you. The scene where a can is thrown at John Malkovich's head is real. Malkovich has described how Spike Jones wanted to cut it due to running late that night, expecting that no one would be able to hit him on the head with a half-full can of beer from a passing car, when about 70 or 80 sets of hands shot up on the crew saying that they would like to try. (laughs) Eventually, the task fell to John Cusack's writing partner, and he nailed it on the first try. So that scene was... (laughs) <laughs> just a miracle throw and hey malkovich think fast yes that's amazing <laughs> there's a there was a rumor that went around about this scene that it was actually improvised that they were filming on the new jersey turnpike and somebody uh unrelated to the production drove by <laughs> and hit malkovich in the head with a beer can but that's not true that's that, that's yeah, been yeah. debunked uh but uh, it definitely has that kind of energy yes um also this isn't like a easter egg but while we're talking about the new jersey turnpike it was one of those weird situations where the first time that Craig is ejected from Malkovich's uh, consciousness. He lands on the New Jersey Turnpike and turns and looks at uh, Manhattan and sees the two towers. Like the iconic, you see it and you know exactly where you are image of New York City. Uh, It's just uh, strange. I know. It's always uh, a little surreal to see that. Um, Whenever uh, my wife says, um, she's like, where were you? I was afraid you were dead in the ditch. I picture myself in the New Jersey Turnpike (laughs) ditch, uh, like Craig laying there. This is is the iconic, this is the the quintessential ditch in my mind. This is the ditch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that is going to bring us to the end of our discussion on being John Malkovich, as we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat. We'll now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to being John Malkovich? He's locking me in a cage. He's locking me in a cage. (laughs) (laughs) 
locking you in a cage with the movie's most iconic character, <laughs> Elijah. So we should all we should all be so lucky. Um, <laughs> my rating for being John Malkovich is a mattress on the side of the New Jersey Turnpike to cushion the fall. Nice. Some of those falls look brutal, oh, man. man. Yeah. I was worried somebody was going to get seriously injured. <laughs> Which also, I wonder how they did that. I was also thinking about that because it because he comes from above the screen. You yeah, know? it's it looks like a pretty steep drop, like <laughs> at least ten to fifteen feet, if not more. Yeah. Oh man, I love that. So <laughs> there you have it. Being John Malkovich, I think we said Malkovich enough times. Okay, in this yes, episode. I think it's lost all meaning at this point. Yes, so that's good. The intended accomplished outcome. the goal of the movie. Yes, right. Um, okay, Joey. Well, what's next on Affable Chat? Next, we are doing They Cloned Tyrone, the movie on Netflix starring Jimmy Fox and John Boyega. There we go. That's coming up next. So subscribe, right, Jerry? Subscribe. <laughs> subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Applechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all our social accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, and even our email address, applechat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then um, tunnel into one of your friend's bodies uh, and have them listen to Affable Chat <laughs> while you're controlling them. And then while you're in there, you can say, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? And then just press play with their finger. <laughs> Amazing. This is our new marketing strategy. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.